You are listening to the Outright Proud podcast. I'm Hannah Cohn, and I'm Outright's UN Advocacy Fellow. At Outright International, we work together for better LGBTIQ lives. In this episode, we will be talking about the advancement of LGBTIQ human rights in Sub-Saharan Africa with our advocacy officers and partners. Here they are. So you've talked about mechanisms to, to push back on this homophobia, transphobia. And Eve, you spoke about how in Kenya we're using the judicial system because of that increased confidence that we had after the vetting of judges. And there was an increased confidence in the judiciary and how in Kenya we have used that to try and push back on this homophobia and transphobia. It had been successful. And you talked about mechanism doesn't just remain at national level, but then at the regional sub-regional level as well, but also international level. So shifting gears into those spaces, we have seen advancements, positive, negative, however the case may be. Most recently, at the African Commission on Human and People's Rights, we saw organizations that work on LGBTIQ, on human rights for LGBTIQ individuals being denied observer status. But we also occupy international spaces and I'd just like to hear your thoughts on, the, on how the space is that we are engaging with in these different advocacy platforms that are available to us. Are these receptive? Are they open? Do we still see the opposition organizing in those spaces? I won't even speak a lot about the organizing at the African Commission. But in my experience of being there in 2019... That is one of the most hostile spaces I have ever organized in. And I've been in this work for, I've been around this work for a bit. But even with the hostility at the time, we still managed to get a few things done, right? We had side events that commissioners came to. We had dinners organized by some of the commissioners that we were invited to and attended. Like, the space generally was not the most welcoming space, but queer activists or activists working around LGBTQ plus issues still have had room to navigate. And we made a few friends and allies that stood with us and stood by us. And that provided a bit of wiggle room when it came to advocacy. That was not the case. And I would love to hear about what the case was last year. Talking about the international spaces, I feel like more and more activists must embolden ourselves because when... In the past, when we left home, we were like, if I'm going to New York, I'll be good. You know, at least I'm leaving the homophobia at GKIA. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <I'll come. laughs> it, it was a break even from the hostility and the attacks and the hate. But to my shock this time, homophobia in the streets of New York, yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> our parliamentarians Followed us here. Can we cast? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God. When, when we left ours, they carried theirs and brought them here. So we have queer Kenyans walking in the streets of New York, bumping into our politicians and 
women's rights and I, I'm putting air quotes on women's rights activists and, and, and feminists being queerphobic and transphobic in the streets of New York. And that's really unfortunate, right? I'll give a story, a quick story about this because it's good to give examples. A queer activist, a queer woman feminist from Kenya, first time in New York, first time in CSW, very excited to be around, bumps into a politician, outrightly queerphobic and homophobic, brings this girl into tears. By the time she was getting to us, she was distraught. I was upset. I was like, if this happened in Nairobi... I know how to deal. I know. But when it happens here, it was very confusing because this is not what we are prepared for psychologically as activists who advocate in these spaces. So that is just an example, Yvonne, to show you that even our international advocacy spaces are becoming hostile, not in the sense of the spaces themselves, but our opposition have room, have space, have organized, have money to send representatives. And now we have to sit in in these spaces with them and we have to do the work and still be cognizant of the environment and check. And they have side events at CSW, right? They have official side events that have been listed down by the UN where they're continuing to spread this ideology while most of our side events were outside of the UN complex, right? We had to rent rooms in hotels to do our work while they get the space, right? And in this conversation, they are being phrased as the victims, the people with no voice, the people who are being pushed out, while in sense that the people with power, the people with access, the people with friends in big spaces, because how are they accessing, how are they getting all the attention they're getting. So it's been a really interesting trend for for somebody who's been around for about a decade, advocating, let's say, from six, seven years ago. And now there's a bit of a shift. And I'm just hoping that the younger activists that are coming in and, and the other people that will be joining us or replacing us in these spaces are emboldened enough, are provided a bit of cushion, are prepared psychologically that even though we are going to the UN, anti-rights, anti-gender movement people will be in there with us. So how do we navigate these spaces? How do we protect ourselves and each other? And how do we continue the work in light of all of this development? You know, I was checking my calculator here because what YV is speaking about is what happened in 1995. If you all will recall, the only black lesbian woman who spoke during the opening was from our region. And Beverly Dizzy was actually attacked by the very same African gender activists, feminists in the streets of New York. So actually what we're reliving is the same thing that happened 28 years ago. Uh, the gatekeepers of gender are still alive. But now they brought up, you know, mini gatekeepers in a way. <laughs> you know, they are teaching gatekeeping because, and we have to face it. So the same way we're trying to teach humanity, dignity, protection, those gatekeepers who believe strongly on anti-everything, they are breeding exactly young people. They are teaching hate. 
And I'm thinking these women would be excited to see an African young person speaking and saying, we are here and we're going nowhere. And poof, 28 years later, it's still the same thing that many like Beverly Dizzy and many other LGBTI queer activists who believed the space of, you know, the Beijing platform, the space of gender equality. And I don't know what happened to the idea of equality. It seems like it has disappeared in, in the narrative of many who are anti. And I don't think I have patience. In the many years I've spent in advocating at the UN or at our own regional level, or even in my own country, I don't think I have patience on rhetorics. People are talking bullshit. People are talking nonsense. And yet people are dying. People are being victimized. We come into these spaces where there's always, oh, we have to negotiate language. How do you negotiate somebody's life, existence? Who, who, in fact, who made people God in these spaces that when we then agreed at a universal level or at a global level, a treaty of universal declaration of human rights, But actually, we are now in the business of which rights we want to be protecting. So I'm not sure 70 plus years of existence of this institution we are visiting. 70? I mean, somebody should be in their old age. And UN is not becoming a better space to really hold countries accountable. So we must actually even ourselves reflect about as much as this is a space where we negotiate, we meet, we network, we find friends, allies. But we find friends and allies who are hypocrites in this very same space. And it becomes an anti and and a reversal in our regions because these are the same people who are also funding our own country's economies. These are the same people who are standing with our countries during military exercises and so forth. But these are the same people who are not standing up to actually ensure that that first universal declaration on human rights is outlived. Thank you so much, Steve, for your reflections. Remy, over to you. I am aware that during CSW 67, there was a lot of organizing by the opposition in in various spaces and with a number of governments, especially our African governments. And I know you did have experiences. Can you share those with us? Absolutely. I did attend a few side events organized by the opposition. And I was curious to understand what their thinking is, the ideologies that the support so rigidly. And I was really shocked to find out that their entire argument is based on two elements. One is that LGBT right is on African. Can you imagine how a white person is coming to tell Nigerians or Africans what an African value is or an African family value is. I find it very, very strange. The second thing is the idea that LGBT rights would promote child abuse, which would eventually lead to the end of procreation or the idea around family as we know it. First of all, Steve was talking about how there are just 11 ethnic 
groups in South Africa. I mean, you're very lucky. Nigeria has over 250 ethnic groups. So you can imagine how difficult it is to define what an African value is or what it... (laughs) You You can imagine what defining what the Nigerian family value is. You cannot define a single African value or a single Nigerian family value. And this actually begs the question, what exactly are LGBT activists in Africa precisely going to do about this? I know that we've done a lot of work to counter what the anti-gender movement has done, such as all 98% of Nigerians support discriminatory laws. And to tackle that, we've been producing a biannual social perception survey to understand the growing perception or the growing respect for LGBT plus rights in Nigeria. And the most recent research was actually in 2022, where we've recorded 40% decrease in the support of Same-Sex Marriage Prohibition Act. But let me just quickly come back on what happened on the street of New York, as Eve (laughs) rightly put it. It's very alarming that there's a huge backlash on comprehensive sexual education, as though children do not deserve the right to understand understand their own bodies or that children do not deserve the right to even prepare them for puberty. 90% of data that talks about pedophilia has been involved with heterosexual persons. There are very, very little instances of LGBT plus persons actually abusing children. So who is really the corporate who is harming children in Africa and with the corporate who is harming children even in Europe and all over the world. You would find that a lot of time it is heterosexual persons doing this. I mean, countries in in Africa, or let me just say precisely in Nigeria, have not actually asked for equal marriage rights. What we've asked for is Mm -hmm. the right to freely associate with one another and the right to organize among ourselves, which is seen among women, which is seen among any group whatsoever. I mean, it is the most basic fundamental human right to not be secluded from people that you hold the same ideologies with, to be able to discuss with them the things that matter to you, to discuss, you know, your fundamental human rights and organize among themselves or organize among ourselves without intervention from government. And I don't think there's any reason that should actually, you know, distance anyone from actually achieving those rights. Circling back at the African Commission, the first time I attended the African Commission was in 2022. I was filled with so much hope, like, oh, finally, I'm going to learn about the mechanisms that we could use to, you know, make sure our government does the right thing. (laughs) And it's just so sad that in November, three human rights organizations were denied their observer status on the basic, again, on African values. You wonder where is this language coming from? It's actually coming from people, the colonizers. I'm just going to go right there. You might be wondering what is the relationship or what is the intersection between colonizing a group of people and LGBT rights? It's actually quite 
similar. The idea that someone wants to impose what they think is right on another group of people is just the same system. You have white people come to Nigeria to say, oh, why are you allowing your women work? Why are your women speaking back? Why do you have women leaders, for instance? Where I'm coming from, women don't work. I mean, men go out to work, and then by the time they pass on these ideologies, people start to wonder, oh, maybe that is right because you're coming with your Bible, I mean, you're coming with the ideology that says a God that I must follow. I mean, for you to be this pure, you might, you definitely <laughs> must be right. I mean, for you to for you to have a white skin, it means that you're closer to God. People need to start understanding their history. Did you even read at all? I mean, what kind of education did you have? Do you understand that? I mean, LGBT plus persons have existed even before you had these colonizers and these people bringing you so much money that's making you not think about your true heritage because there's nothing on African about LGBT rights. I must say, I did sit in two of those meetings. And the one thing that I think stood out most to me was the fact that they do not want to hear of this word called intersectionality. So in this space alone, we've mentioned that word like two or three times. And it kept triggering me like that was something that was an issue to them, where they don't want to look at, you know, intersectionality. So for them, it's not just an issue of even just LGBTIQ. It's an issue of even being a black woman in that space, you already feel very discriminated against because those are intersectionalities. Women with disability, all those things are things to be considered, but for them, no. Well, that was an, a point of concern for them. But also the fact that they never gave anybody an opportunity to engage. They just gave you information, and when they were done, they were done. And you didn't have, there was no open session for questions or, or anything, which is, again, quite unfortunate that they would spew hate and spew homophobia and misinformation that would encourage people to hate other people and not even give a second thought as to the impact that it has on actual lives of individuals. 